Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Meninga. In this episode, I talk with Brian McLaren. Brian is an activist, public theologian, and author of many books, including most recently, Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the Disillusioned. Also musically featured throughout this episode is Valley Heart. Valley Heart is an alternative band from Boston. You can get connected with Brian and Valley Heart and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meninga. There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. Today we have none other than Brian McLaren. Brian, at this point, I think you might be the most uh, reoccurring guest on this podcast. I, you've probably been on at least like four times, maybe five times at this point. You've been on quite a bit, and it's always a delight to chat with you. Uh, you're one of my favorite people in the entire world. Uh, you know, well, I feel like at this point, you really don't need any of any introduction. Um, but how are you today? How are you doing? Well, this is a book release day as we're having this conversation so that it makes it a happy day. And of course, people will be listening to this at different times. And you may not have even heard, I just heard right before this, that it's the day of another mass shooting. In yes, I did just see that. Yeah. So just, uh, so I'm feeling all those crazy emotions, mix of emotions that I guess characterize these crazy times. Yeah. But I'm yeah. really happy to be having this conversation with you. And, and I saw that you just uh, chatted with Trip Fuller too, good friend of the podcast. That's right. Exactly right. Trip uh, is always cooking up some good mischief and I'm always happy to yeah. be part of it. He, he's great. Well, with that said, uh, I, I want you to be able to introduce yourself. So who is Brian McLaren to Brian McLaren? <laughs> I know you've gotten that well, question a few times before, but you know, it could always be a little different, you know, depending on it the It could day. always be a little different. So uh, I am married to Grace. Par- uh, we're parents to four adult kids in their thirties and forties and uh, were grandparents to five amazing kids between the ages of almost six and 12. So uh, that's, that feels like the stuff that's most important to me these days. I was a pastor for 24 years. I am a writer and whatever else I do now, I, I do some teaching with Center for Action Contemplation and I am a big outdoors person. So in fact, can I tell you the fun thing I did over the weekend? Yes, I totally want to hear this. Uh, I, have, I did something. I'm 66 years old. I did something I've never done before in my life. I went fossiling. So wow. a friend of mine and I went to this river about two hours north of here that's famous for fossils. Okay. We took kayaks up the river, uh, found a place where there was a sandbar. And for the whole day, we dug shovels of sand underwater, picked them up, put them through a sieve, and found shark's teeth. And uh, did you find any dinosaurs? We found prehistoric manatee bones. Uh, wow. These are all fossilized, so it's all from you know up to I think sixty million, seventy million years ago. So it's pretty cool. Oh my goodness! How about that? And that's the first time you've ever done that. I've never done that before. So we're, you know, up to water, up at, 
up to our chests in water and the currents flowing by and we're right. trying to get a shovel full of sand and gravel and grit up. And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. I grew up in South Dakota and on the Western side of South Dakota is where all these like dinosaur bones are all oh, the yeah. time. And so yes. I grew up like going to all these, you know, uh, places where they were digging up dinosaur bones. And I always thought that was the coolest thing when you're, you know, when you're seven years old, like, of course, dinosaurs are like the coolest thing. And so that was always a fun place to live, uh, given the fact that there were so many dinosaur bones you could actually see. So my inner seven-year-old came out and I, I bet, that, I bet that childlike experience of just the wonder that you can find things like this and that this right. little tooth I'm holding used to be in the mouth of a prehistoric shark, you know? So, right. Just you know, it, it, and this doesn't necessarily have to deal with the book, but I've always wondered, you know, when I think about the world in that time, millions and millions of years ago, like yeah. what was God's relationship with the world that time? Yes. You know, the humans didn't exist yet. And so I'm, you yes. know, I'll, I think a lot of times we, we think of God <laughs> only in, in, in so far that humans have existed, but you know, if we yes. really do believe that God has always been around and the world has been around for millions, if not billions of years, then God has always had, had actually has had a longer relationship with the world before humans than with humans. <laughs> That's true. It just shows how egocentric we are as a species, as if God were sort of sitting around uh, thumbing, you know, uh, uh, thumping God's fingers on the table thinking, oh, oh gosh, only 60 million more years and I can finally hear a praise chorus. Right. <laughs> I can finally have some people praising me, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. God waited a long time for Chris Tomlin to, turn, you know, show up. <laughs> Well, Chris, God bless Chris Tomlin, but God must have been whatever, however God works. Uh, dinosaurs must have been pretty interesting. In I would imagine and, so. Uh, so, and and really, you just think the whole universe, like every, to imagine that every square inch of the universe has meaning, and every square inch of the universe has history. And oh gosh, it's just yeah, and. So I guess that's part of what we tap into, whether we're seven years old or 66 years old. That's right. Uh, you know, it jump uh, appreciating uh, all that. And of course, I'm a birder and I love all kinds of wildlife. I have tortoises walking around my backyard. Did you see um, there's a new show? I think it's going to be like on Discovery or something. But, you know, the guy who was in Central Park a few years ago who uh, was birding and was called this um, white yes. woman like tried to call the cops on him, uh, but yes. he's got his own show now for birding. Like I think with discovery oh, channel. So you might have to check out cool that show thing. when it comes out. I, I have to check that out. I, that's the kind of thing I love. Yeah. That's, that's, that's worship music for me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, let's talk, chat about the new book. Uh, you have a brand new book called do I stay Christian, a guide for the doubters, the disappointed and the disillusioned. I'm really excited for it. You know, at this point, you know, I, I know people who like try to read 50 books in a year or something. At this point, it seems yeah. like you're going to try to write 50 books in a lifetime and you're getting pretty close. <laughs> well, I'm somewhere, I'm somewhere north of uh, 20. So uh, yeah, I, I, it's embarrassing to think I, I'm that long winded. <laughs> well, this book felt like it, it took maybe every thread I've ever written about and got a chance to sort of weave them together oh, yeah. in light of the struggle that lots and lots of people are having now uh, right. with the whole problem of Christian identity. 
Right. Well, like you said, you're north of 20 books now. You certainly have learned a lot about yourself in a writing process over all of these books that you've written. What did you maybe learn about yourself in the writing of this book that maybe you didn't mm. know about yourself before? Yeah. Uh, you are a very curious person. You're always interested in learning. So I'm curious, you know, maybe there's something you learned about yourself in this. In well, this book. that's a, that's a, that's a great question, Mason. I mean, the, speaking of writing process, I mean, the thing about my writing process I, is I really love to write and I always have some sort of a vague outline of what I'm going to do. But when I actually start writing, it's interesting to watch just how curiosity mm. changes my plan and leads me in, in different places. So, and that certainly was the case with this book. I, I just felt like I was kind of trusting my intuition to know where the next step was supposed to go. So that it was a, a good experience in, in that way. But you know, the, I, at the end of the book, I basically say something so incredibly obvious, but it really did hit me as a, with a certain force of insight. And that is that every book I've written has been about conflicted religious identity. Right. <laughs> so I just realized, yeah, that's sort of the story of my life. Right, <laughs> so right. that's really been what I've, I've been writing about. I guess that was obvious to everybody else, but but it became obvious to me finally. Yeah, I've always kind of wondered, you know, it does seem like the people who have the healthiest relationship with their religion are the people that sometimes are the most conflicted about that relationship yes. with religion. You know, there's so much truth to that. I, I have a friend, she's a rabbi. I respect her so much. I just I have just deep, deep respect for her. And I just got an email from her the other day. I just can't stop thinking about it. She just got back from Israel. And while she was in Israel, um, she was with an Israeli group that uh, stands up for Palestinian human rights. Mm -hmm. And she, she went with them and witnessed the Israeli government doing a house demolition. Mm -hmm. And she wrote about this. And I, I mean, as I read it, I just felt like, yes, you're experiencing as a Jew, what I and so many are experiencing as Christians, and I'm sure there are Muslims experiencing similar things. And it's not because you don't care about your religion that you're brokenhearted. It's because you do. Mm. And it's not. And and I, in fact, if you take her experience and then juxtapose it with the recent headlines about the Southern Baptists, basically, after all of their condemning of people for sex in a hundred different ways, they were covering up for the sort of old mm -hmm. boys network of, uh, of uh, people abusing power. And you think that these people who seem to be so loyal to their religious group are the ones that actually do it the most harm. Mm. And, and it's people like my friend who are willing to critique their religious group that are actually doing it, you know, doing it good that it needs. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, kind of along those lines, you know, as you wrote the book and you were doing the research for the book, did you learn anything theologically, you know, whether it's about Christianity or something else that yeah. maybe you didn't know before? But yeah, is there any sort of kind of more, uh, you know, knowledge based type of learning that you had, not necessarily about yourself, but yeah, yeah, yeah. about theology yeah. or whatever it might be? So I'll tell you a couple things. Um, the first one is I didn't learn it while I was writing the book. I learned it about a week ago. <laughs> um, so the, you know, the first third of the book, uh, the book, the, the book has three answers to the question. The first question is, 
Uh, first answer is no, I do not want to stay Christian. Second answer is yes. Um, and then the third question is, look, I don't know if I'm going to stay Christian, but I have to figure out how to be a human. So mm-hmm. those are the three parts of the book. And in the first part of the book, the very first chapter on, of reasons to say no is Christianity's history of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I was writing the book, uh, it was during the pandemic, the early parts of the pandemic. And I did a, a bunch of research about how Jews became the scapegoats for anxious Christians during the pandemic. And I tell one just nauseating story uh, uh, about that um, from, uh, from, you know, medieval Europe, but I didn't know until last week that England kicked out all Jews for a a couple of centuries. Like if you were a Jew, you had to leave the country. I wondered how did I get this far in life without knowing that, you know? So just another example of the ugliness of, of Christian anti-Semitism. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So at the beginning of the book, you talk about 11 different ways Christianity has been defined um, or can be defined. Uh, And I think this seems like a really key part of like later on in answering the the question, do I stay Christian, uh, which you obviously do later on in the book. But I think these 11 different ways of defining Christianity seem like really key parts uh, of that question, or at least um, giving a foundation to eventually being able to answer that question. So what are these 11 different ways of defining Christianity? Because I think each one yes. of them is really critical. And how do they shape our experiences of Christianity? You know, you mentioned right after that section that you, at some point in your life, ended up having uh, an experience with all 11 different ways of defining Christianity. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm curious, what are these 11 different ways of defining Christianity? And how do they shape the experiences of Christianity? Well, Mason, I'm really glad you found that interesting because to me, that was another sort of learning point for me when I, I, this came out of a conversation with a group of people, but as I've continued to think about that list, uh, it's helped me realize that this is not only true of Christianity, this is true of every religion, like every Mm -hmm. one of these has its application in every religious community. So I'll just read through all 11. You can define Christianity historically or culturally as a legacy you're born into. Mm. You can define it as institutionally as a power structure or hierarchy to in which you participate. You can define it doctrinally as a set of things you believe. I think for a whole lot of us, that's what Christianity was. Right, it's a right. set of things you believe. Fourth, it can be defined liturgy or, liturgically or pragmatically as a set of rituals you practice. Fifth, it can be defined spiritually or experientially as some experience you've had, something you feel or felt, um, that something that in some, in some way happened to you and uh, changed you. Um, it can be defined moralistically as a set of moral values or precepts that you try to uphold. Um, it can be defined missionally as some mission or plan of action that you have in the world. It can be defined demographically uh, as a sociological or anthropological uh, identity. Um, it could be defined politically as a way of organizing people for political action. It's kind of interesting in today's world how that word evangelical, uh, a high percentage of people today who identify themselves as evangelical don't go to church. Right, right. But it, it, it's become a political marker that they're proud to be associated with. Yeah, almost exclusively a political marker. Yeah. 
<laughs> with a lot of people. That's right. Um, number 10, it can be defined socially as a community of people in whose presence you feel safe, welcome, needed, and so on. I have a friend who is not a believer in any way, but he loves, because of his political views, he loves being associated with a certain kind of Christian. Um, and then Christianity can be defined linguistically as a shared set of words and ways of communicating. Um, and uh, and I would imagine there are more dimensions too, but those were the 11 that uh, have struck me as uh, that I could kind of see in my own experience and, and hear others trafficking in. It is interesting to see how different Christian traditions stress one over the other. Uh, you yes. know, like like we just mentioned, you know, growing up evangelical, the doctrine one was certainly a really big piece. And obviously that's even changed more to now it's a, a political definition more yeah. so. And uh, you know, you mentioned the liturgic one. I can definitely imagine, you know, the Anglicans in the world would probably define Christianity maybe yes. around that a little bit more. And so it is interesting yeah. how different traditions might stress one over the other yes. in these definitions. That's true. And and then you think of how there's a kind of intersection intersectionality with them. So for example, if you're Italian and Catholic, it's your Italianness and your Catholicity are overlapping in a really right. interesting way. If you're, it's different than if you're Irish and Catholic or German and Catholic right. or Mexican or uh, Congolese and Catholic. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and you can see that in the United States, if you're Southern and evangelical, it's different than being California evangelical. So right, right. yeah, there's really interesting overlays. And I, one, I didn't, uh, an overlay that I don't think, is distinctively Christian, but in other religions, this would be true. There could be sort of an economic identity. You know, mm -hmm. for example, if you're a Dalit in India, your religious self-understanding and your economic self-understanding and the understanding of others about you, you know, would, would overlap in a really interesting right. way. The, the, uh, the other reason why I think you opening up the book with this is really important is when we ask the question, do I stay Christian? It's important to recognize that it doesn't seem as if there's this one definition of Christianity yes. that we're all agreeing to. And yes. that when we say the word Christian, and if I stay a Christian, that we have this assumed definition of it. But there actually seems to be many, many different definitions of what it means to be Christian and therefore meaning, do I stay any kind of Christian. Here's where these things become, I don't know, almost revelatory. You realize there, there are a whole lot of people who would define Christian in terms of doctrine. You are a Christian if you believe these five fundamentals. You are a Christian right. if you believe whatever. But you could find somebody who believes those five fundamentals and also is a white supremacist. Right. And, and so now they're an Orthodox Christian based on that set of beliefs. And in a certain sense, you have to welcome them in and celebrate them as being right. And one of the insiders, even though they have this other characteristic. So there are all these unintended consequences that go along with uh, however we choose that definition. And mm -hmm. to me, just, you know, having a conversation like we are now, it seems to me would invite people to go back and think, I wonder what, Jesus was interested in, you know, mm. in this, mm. I, I'll tell you, I feel this, uh, like, I feel sorry for Jesus. I know that sounds funny, 
but I can maybe <laughs> explain it by saying how I feel sorry for his dad tried to kill him. I mean, I really feel bad for the guy. <laughs> According to some people. That's yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, but I feel sorry for the Buddha. Like you think all the beautiful things the Buddha stood for. And then you go into a store and you see these just grotesque statues that, that people think of that's a Buddha statue. And now having that statue on your mantle or bookshelf, I, I don't know. You just think the the poor Buddha would just, well, if he were in any way attached to what happened to his name and teaching, he'd right. be depressed. Maybe he wouldn't, he was, uh, he would sufficiently detached from it that he wouldn't care. But at any rate, you just think it's an opportunity for us. If we take Jesus seriously to say, I wonder yeah, which how how Jesus would evaluate that list? What would what would really matter in his mind? Right, right. So the the next part of the book then is that you give all these really really great reasons for why not to stay a Christian. Like, and like, what, let's chat about that then. Like, why would why would one or why should one not stay a Christian? Yeah. And this is part of the reason why I love the book is like you're not just. Uh, answering the question, do I stay Christian? And just trying to essentially evangelize people into staying a Christian. Uh, you actually yeah. give really good reasons uh, for the opposite, for people to leave Christianity. And so, yeah, I'm curious, why should one not stay Christian? What are all the great reasons yeah. that you brought up in the book? So l- let me respond to that, but let me also say why I felt it was important to include these, because mm. for people who are going to stay Christian, my hope is that nobody will be a Christian going forward who does, who isn't aware of and honest about and affected by the past failures of our religion. In other words, if, if we manage to keep the secrets that we've kept up until now, we increase the chances that we'll repeat the behaviors. And, mm-hmm. and so for people who are going to stay Christian, I want them to know these, these 10 chapters. But for people who leave, I want them to, in a sense, know you have a good reason to leave. And unless the Christian religion, some sector of the Christian religion, adequately addresses your reasons for leaving, you know, you have a reason to be uh, unsatisfied. So um, several of them relate to the past, parts of our history that we haven't acknowledged and that mm-hmm. I'm very worried could be repeated. The first is anti Semitism, as we mentioned. Um, second um, is the way Christians have treated their fellow Christians who, who express dissent, mm. uh, what I call Christian nonconformists. The third is the impact of Christian Christianity's project of crusades and colonialism. Th- this brutal history, one of the most vicious campaigns that resulted in death and horrible living conditions in really the history of our species. And then there are a series, uh, the next set, set of chapters deal with things that are in the present, the power of money in the Christian religion, the power of institutionalism, the power of white patriarchy, and the power of toxic theology of people being stuck in a framework of beliefs. And it's not just the beliefs that are the problem. I, I try to explain in this in this book. It's the assumptions that underlie the beliefs that you have to uphold if you want to uphold those beliefs. And then some of them are experiential, kind of the 
the experience we have that of not being transformed the way people promised us we would be or mm -hmm. watching others think they're transformed when it's obvious to the rest of us, something's not working. Um, and then watching all of the intellectual activity expended by Christians to, to uphold what they already think, whether it's right or wrong and the lack of energy expended on, on other things. And then the last is just that to realize that, that there are demographic changes going on in the Christian faith where young people who are younger and more educated are tending to leave mm -hmm. uh, here in the West. And, and what does that mean? And, and what is the, what is our, our different sectors of Christianity doing to address that problem? Mm -hmm. Because that has, it, it, it will change the meaning of the word Christian mm -hmm. even more as we go forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously you can't rewrite the book at this point, but I would imagine even like a report that came out with the Southern Baptist <laughs> yes. Convention, I mean, would be certainly yeah. something you'd want to include in that. And that's just one example of obviously many examples of like what's happening, not just in the present, but obviously has happened in the past. More than anything, it's it's one of those things where it seems as if everybody else recognizes this as a problem, except the people who are making it a problem. <laughs> yes, yes. And then what tends to happen is the people who I call the the loyal company men, and occasionally there are women in this category, but it's usually men. When you bring these problems up to them, they try to minimize them. And, and right. they seem to have no understanding that the act of minimizing them just makes everything even worse. The, the other thing that I, I appreciate that you brought up, and, and again, like you even have uh, a, a chapter in this about the kind of beliefs that I think you use the language of toxic beliefs. Uh, and one of the things that I've really been exploring a lot lately is the fact that so many of the issues that we see in the world have some sort of animating theology behind them, whether or not those yes. issues are uh, kind of exclusively or, or explicitly theological. But at the end of the day, I would argue that there is some sort of animating the yes. theological belief behind them. And so, again, for the example of the SBC and the abuse report that came out, like for me, it's, it's not just the abuse that's the issue, but you can't if you want to end the abuse like that, that that's happening in that church, you're actually going to have to completely change the theology because the theology is going to animate a lot of the behavior that's happening in a church like that. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm like, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are around that too, when yeah. it comes to like, if we're going to acknowledge a lot of the reasons why you shouldn't stay a Christian, uh, it still seems as if the theology, regardless if you stay Christian or not, needs to change. Well, exactly right. Exactly right. And uh, so much we could say about this, uh, Mason, but maybe one thing that's relevant to this Southern Baptist situation. So you could immediately point to doctrines that Southern Baptists not only uphold, but have sort of doubled down on in recent years, male headship. Um, so they say it's God's will that men are in charge. And then you watch a debacle like this where men cover up for men and men disbelieve women. So you say that's a problematic belief, but underneath that belief, uh, part of what gives Southern Baptists, and especially in recent years, a kind of a lack of self-awareness, it seems to those of us who are on the outside, many of us on the outside 
is this idea that because they consider themselves conservative, they are God's people and they are right and they're God's favorites and God is depending on them. And whenever you give people what I call, uh, you know, an excessive confidence in their own role, then suddenly they think, oh no, here's a, a pastor who abused his power with a woman. And if this gets out, it will discredit our church. And then we won't be able to help people get saved. And then, you know, those people will go to hell. So in a bizarre way, their doctrines about hell and their doctrines about being chosen by God and uniquely mm -hmm. special and confidence that that's who they are. You just start to think that's a dangerous set of beliefs to put right. in anybody's hands. Here, here's the way to say it. Catholics couldn't handle it. Baptists couldn't handle it. Who wants to be the next to try? <laughs> right, right. And, and you can pretty much predict anybody who says, we will, we'll try to hold those set of beliefs and not abuse the power. Uh, I don't think so. I, you right. Know. right, absolutely. This episode of A People's Theology is brought to you by United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. Are you considering exploring your faith more deeply or are you called to ministry but haven't found a seminary that is quite right for you? When you come to United, you join a community that is intentionally open, socially aware, and theologically adventurous. United's passion is equipping leaders to make real, lasting change in the world through their many different degree programs. Whether your vocation is in faith leadership, nonprofit leadership, academia, the arts, activism, or social entrepreneurship. And the best news is you don't have to uproot your life to attend seminary. United offers maximum flexibility to fit your schedule. Attend on campus or online, part-time or full-time. Their leading distance learning technology allows students to be active in the classroom and engaged with the United community. Want to learn more? Visit unitedseminary.edu forward slash a people's theology or click the link in the episode description and receive a $1,000 scholarship when you apply and are admitted. United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, training leaders to dismantle systems of oppression, care for the spiritual needs of a multi-faith world, and push the boundaries of theology. Well, let's chat about then all the good reasons to stay a Christian. Uh, you know, after all the reasons you list to to say, you know what, maybe it, there's good reasons not to be a Christian. Uh, it does feel a little daunting then to maybe list uh, or try to find reasons to stay Christian. But uh, but you, I think you do an incredible job. Like, what what are the good reasons to stay Christian? I, I can list my own, but I'm really curious about then what, what is it that you believe are the reasons why people should stay Christian? Well, probably the only chapter that people would expect me to say that I said is, is the, the middle uh, chapter, chapter 15 of that section, where I talk about, uh, I say, our legendary founder. So, uh, I mean, the, the honest truth is, the older I get, I've been at this a long time. The older I get, the more fascinating Jesus becomes to me. Mm. Um, not in the same ways as when I was a little kid or even a young pastor, but it's kind of like I just would have to say, like, just every time I say the Lord's Prayer, even if I'm rushing through it, I am now aware that every line in that prayer is revolutionary. Every line in that prayer has this profound depth that when we take it seriously, it, it really is transformative. So all those things about Jesus just are staggeringly interesting to me. 
And the interesting thing is, I'm, I'm sure that I could officially leave Christianity and have no change in my admiration of Jesus, except for this. When Jesus was part of a religion that he knew was corrupt and that, in fact, was plotting, the leaders of which were plotting to kill him, he didn't leave and start a new religion. <laughs> and so that dimension of Jesus is certainly intriguing to me. Now, I know that a lot of Christians think he, he left and started a new religion, but he didn't. He was born a Jew. He died a Jew. He never told people, turn your back on Judaism, even though Christians uh, ended up doing that. But a, a couple of the chapters uh, relate to, for example, in one of the chapters, I, I suggest if the Christian religion is capable of changing, and it certainly is, it's changed through its history for the worse, it's changed through its history for the better. Mm -hmm. If it's capable of changing, should I assume that the form it's in, is it's never going to change from this form? Or should I assume that like everything else, it could change. And maybe by staying, I could help it change for the better. There's no guarantees about that, but it's a, it's a question I raise in one of the chapters. I have a couple of chapters where I talk about the problem of innocence, that one of the reasons why I want to leave Christianity sometimes is I just think I'm embarrassed to be associated with those people. It tarnishes my good reputation. <laughs> and then when I really examine that and think, gosh, you know, is that, does that make a better world when I cut myself off from anybody who I think tarnishes my reputation? Is that really a spiritually healthy thing? And then I start extending that to other areas of life. Yeah. I, I, I start to realize that innocence isn't all it's cracked up to be. Right. And there might be something better than innocence. And I talk about it as solidarity. Right. You mentioned that, and I find this really interesting, you mentioned that you could very well leave Christianity and still be just as fascinated by Jesus. And I know there's a lot of Christians out there that would say, you know, the only way for you to really truly be, you know, have a faith in Jesus is to be a part of the Christian community. I'm curious what you kind of think around that. You know, I I did an episode a while back with uh, John the Tominal, and I'm not sure if you know of him and his work. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a professor at Union Theological Seminary, and he does a lot of work around uh, pluralism, religious pluralism. And, you know, he's got this really fascinating way of thinking about how, you know, people can be a part of multiple religions at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm just kind of curious, like around like thinking about having a faith in Jesus, but not necessarily being part of the Christian community. Because I can see a lot of Christians, even maybe more progressive ones, pushing it back against that. But I'm kind of curious how you think through that. So just as an example, I, I have a, a friend who was born Muslim, raised in Syria, and he uh, was a sincere Muslim. He was actually a Muslim socialist. He ended up having a conversion to Christianity and had a deep love for Jesus, deep experience of Jesus. After many years in the Christian community, he became super disillusioned with the, the Christian community, especially the way they wanted to use him as a Muslim against other Muslims. And so he came to a place where he said, I'm done. I'm not a Christian anymore. I love Jesus just as much as ever. But I would rather be a Muslim. I think it's. I think Jesus would rather me be a Muslim who loves Jesus. Right. <laughs> and so it happens. Exactly, this thing happens. And 
if people look around enough, they'll find people. And in fact, a lot of people who leave, it's not because they think I used to love Jesus and now I don't. It's because they think everything I've learned about Jesus seems to be being betrayed by every kind of Christian that I'm around. So I don't see any option for me to keep following Jesus. This doesn't seem to work. So there are people who, who, who feel that way. If you ask me, Mason, what I think is ahead, I, I think all of the above is ahead. I think we will find people who inhabit uglier versions of Christianity than we've ever seen. I think mm-hmm. it's in our near future. I think there will be people who inhabit more beautiful expressions of Christianity than we've ever seen, or let me say, than we've seen in a very long time. I, I think both of those things will happen. I think there will be people who inhabit multiple religious identities. They'll say, I'm a Christian, but I'm also Buddhist, or I'm a Christian, but I'm also, you know, whatever. That they, they'll, they'll say these two or three traditions all enrich me. And then I think we'll see people who just are done with the whole thing, and they become, you know, pretty disgusted with the whole religious enterprise. And if you say, are you religious? They'll say no. Are you spiritual? They'll say no. They'll, they'll, they'll define themselves in some other way. It might be science. It might be politics. It might be economics. And you know what they're going to find out? There will be beautiful people who do that. And there will be scary people who do that too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, as I wrote this book, I realized that the third part had to be whether you're Christian or not, you wake up the next day and you have to figure out what kind of a human being you're going to be. And, and, and ultimately, I kind of think that's what Jesus cared the most about. After all, he doesn't say, by their labels, you shall know them, or by their creeds, you shall know them, right. or by their hierarchies, you shall know them, but by their fruits, by the way they live, you shall right. know them. Right. So again, you, you touched on the fact that you could very well still have maybe like a faith in Jesus, but not be a Christian or be a part of the Christian community any longer. Uh, but you have, like you, you've remained, you know, you were pastor for many years. I know you're still a, a part of a, a congregation and everything. And so you still, and you definitely still identify as a Christian. So you, you definitely yeah. uh, have stayed Christian. And there are many reasons for myself of why I've stayed Christian. You know, I think of all the, the wonderful and beautiful Christians that have been a part yes. of our tradition. You know, I think of people like MLK and Dorothy Day and, and a lot of the yeah. queer Christians that I'm friends with now, like, Think about all of those folks and the way that they use their Christianity to do really wonderful things in the world. That's part of the reason why I want to still remain a part of this tradition. But yeah, I'm curious then for you, like, why have you personally remained a Christian? Why do you still want to be a part of this tradition that has done so much harm, but also some good? (laughs) Yeah. So really all 10 of the chapters that I write about would be expressions of my own, uh, my own journey. Um, if you were to ask me if any stand out, I mean, they all, they all feel important. The way I articulated what you just said about the beautiful people you've met is in one of the chapters, I talk about how leaving hurts my allies and uh, encourages their opponents. So in other words, the, the people who are doing good as Christians, to have another one of us leave in a sense, hurts them. You know, it, it, it leaves them a little higher and drier. And all of the people who are doing things with the Christian religion that I think are super harmful and super dangerous, 
I mean, literally, that are threats to human survival. Those people would be so happy if people like you and me left. Right. <laughs> they would have the swimming pool to themselves again, you know. But the interesting thing is, leaving Christianity would make some people leave me, right? Mm. Um, in other words, you're no longer a Christian. I, I'm done with you. But I, the attitude I'd like to have is because I'm a Christian, whether or not you're a Christian makes no difference to how I love you. You know, in other words, the lesson I learned from Jesus is that God is a God of non-discriminatory love. And so my aspiration, I fall far short of it, but my aspiration is to become a person of non-discriminatory love too. And, and, and one of the consequences of that is I care less about whether other people consider me a Christian <laughs> um, because I know who I am and I know right. what I'm about. And if they approve, that's great. And if they don't, that's great. So we've chatted about all the good reasons why you should not stay a Christian, all the good reasons why you should stay a Christian and why you've even personally uh, have stayed a Christian. But you have, the last chapter of the book is about why we should you know, stay human. Uh, and, and so, yeah, like how do we stay human in all of this? Um, you know, regardless if we're a Christian or not, how do we stay human in the midst of all of the Christian nationalism, all of the Christian supremacy and all the ways that Christianity is hurting and harming the world? So this, one of the things that, uh, going back to an earlier question, uh, one of the things that became clear to me as I read this book is how the struggle I'm having with Christian identity, I'm actually having with virtually every identity I, I, that I hold. For example, I'm an American, and to be an American right now is a hot mess of contradictions. I'm a male. I'm a white male. I'm a white cisgendered male. I'm a white cisgendered straight male. All of those identities have all kinds of dimensions to them that are problematic. I could leave Christianity tomorrow and I would still be a participant in a capitalist economy. Oh crap, I didn't solve all my problems, right? Because right. even though I am a participant in a capitalist economy, at the same moment, I feel that the capitalist economy is destroying the environment, which is not good for future generations. So every identity that I have is conflicted. I even look at the human species and uh, I think. Our entire species, when you look at us over, you know, our, our couple hundred thousand years of existence, we don't have a great track record of living well with the earth and living well with one another. And so then I realized, gosh, every single dimension of life, we face this same question. How, sh how do we want to live? What, what is a good life for us to mm -hmm. pursue? And that question then suddenly puts me on the same level, whether you stay Christian or not, whether my neighbor is Muslim or Jewish or atheist or humanist or sick or whatever. Suddenly we look at each other and we think we're all in this together. How are we going to live? Mm -hmm. Lovely. How do you hope Do I Stay Christian inspires and liberates its readers? Well, inspiring and liberating would really be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose the thing I hope for the people who stay Christian is that they will do so with their eyes open about the harm of our past and the potential for that harm 
to be repeated in the future. And so that along with that will become a resolve, will become a deep resolve to have a, a real, uh, as they say in the recovering movement, a searching and fearless moral inventory and a commitment to live a, a different kind of Christianity going forward. Um, and for the people who decide, yeah, I just can't do it, or who that decision's already been made, right. what I hope happens for them is that they find a way to leave and get on with the work of being human. And that in some way, they'll even be able to find empathy for the people they're leaving. If, if that happened, I'd be super, super happy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole piece to it of, you know, just because you might be leaving Christianity does not necessarily mean that you're leaving all the harm that you could cause in the world. Yeah. There are a lot of other things like you mentioned, you know, being a white cisgender straight man, just because you leave Christianity does not necessarily mean that those other parts of you don't necessarily mean that you can't cause harm in those ways. And so, yeah, it, it's a really important way to think about that, uh, that, you know, all, all these problems aren't only caused uh, through Christianity. There, there are lots of dimensions in the world that are causing harm. And so, and Christianity yeah. being a very predominant one, obviously, but there's lots of other ways. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a really, I, for me, for, for those who would be are interested or ha- like already have made that decision to leave Christianity. Uh, there are a lot of other ways in the world that you can create a more wonderful world. Um, and, um, but it, it does, it's not a given. It's certainly not a given just by leaving Christianity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last question, Brian, how can listeners get connected to you and your work? So uh, my website is brianmclaren.net, B-R-I-A-N-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. And that it, there are links to my social media and uh, the podcasts I do with Center for Action and Contemplation and, um, and all of my books and eBooks and other things like that. And folks might be interested uh, if they read the book, um, our mutual friend Trip Fuller and I are going to do a, a four-week class um, on the book uh, starting in September. So we're hoping to give people a chance to read it and then we'll create an online class that folks can, uh, we'll give them some things to engage with, have a little online community for people to talk, and then we'll have some live sessions of answering questions and so on. So it'll be, that'll be a a good way for us to keep building the conversation. Awesome. And where can folks get the book? Uh, anywhere, anywhere. I, I always encourage people to patronize their local bookstore if possible, their local independent bookstore. But if, if they can't, every, all the online booksellers will have it. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Brian. Uh, you, again, you're one of those people in the world that uh, early on when I was in college and you know, really disillusioned with my growing up in evangelicalism, I was like, you know what? Uh, I, I, found, I found you and I found you and others. And uh, you are honestly one of those people that have at least compelled me to remain a Christian. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm just really excited uh, for other people to dig in and really start to investigate, like, should I stay a Christian? Um, because I, I think this is a really incredible resource um, for them to be able to kind of think through some of those really important questions. And so thank you again so much for chatting, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And let, and let me also just say thanks to you, because I I think that podcasts like this are the are really one of the places where these vital conversations happen and where people can imagine a different way of being Christian than they were raised with. So keep up the good work and thanks for having me.
If you would like to connect with Brian and Valley Heart and their work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mesa And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates.